It is January 1995. Rumble in the Bronx is in theaters. TLC's Creep is topping the charts. And The Simpsons airs Season 6, Episode 12, Homer the Great. The Stonecutters episode, guest starring Patrick Stewart. And the WWE is about to embark on its least financial year in history. Yes, 1995. Uh, in the book, Titan Sinking, James Dixon talks in great detail about how Vince McMahon lost more than $6 million basically out of his ass. Uh, of all people, Jim Cornette has the, uh, the foreword in this book, and he basically says that you know, 1995 is a dividing point a tipping point, if you will, between the dying days of the pro wrestling business, killed by outsiders, egos, exposure and parody, and the takeover of sports entertainment. It is also the year where both businesses sowed seeds of what could ultimately be the death of the entire genre. And then he goes on just about, <laughs> about every other thing here in the foreword. Uh, the Titan... Trilogy by James Dixon, uh, Titan Sinking, Titan Shattered, and welcome to the Fretzelmania podcast. I am Mr. Fretz. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the Legendary JF. In this special multi-part edition of the podcast, you will hear in decent detail about how I would rebook the year 1995 in the WWE. Now, for those of you who have known me for any amount of time, at least on the wrestling Twitter side of things, you would know that I used to have a blog on WordPress.com, also called Fretzelmania, the namesake of this podcast, and the namesake of uh, my merch store, part of the Wrestle Attic Radio collection on Teespring.com. If you look for Wrestle Attic Radio or Fretzelmania, F-R-E-T-Z-L-E Mania, you will find t-shirts and mugs and sweaters and all that with my fancy logo on it. And if you do happen to purchase some, please let me know. And if you are a member of the Russell Attic Radio Patreon, you get 15% off with a special code. So keep that in mind and tweet me if you actually buy some stuff. So 1995 was a very interesting year. In the WWE, uh, Vince McMahon lost over five, six million dollars just right out of his ass. And in the book Titan Sinking, James Dixon goes into great detail about how exactly that happened. And, you know, the rest of the books of the Titan trilogy, Titan Screwed and Titan Shattered, that follow this book talk about some tumultuous and difficult years. And not only WWE, but wrestling in general. I know WCW was white hot. It was just on the cusp of getting Nitro in 1995. But there's just so much hardships and backstage BS and other factors out, outside of that that made the WWE a little bit uh, difficult, to say the least. And in the foreword of, of Titan Sinking... Uh, James E. Cornette, you know, he talks about how 1995 was a dividing point, 
or a tipping point, if you will, between the dying days of the pro wrestling business, killed by outsiders' egos, exposure and parody, and the takeover of sports entertainment. And he also says that it is also the year where both businesses, sports entertainment and the wrestling business, sow the seeds of what could ultimately be the death of the entire genre. Now, the the rest of this, uh, this foreword is a little bit more about that, but I highly recommend this trilogy. You can find it on Amazon or anywhere. Heck, I think maybe Audible have some stuff. Justin Henry from Cultaholic, from the... Uh, you know, Cultaholic Classic Raw review, and I think he does a lot of articles for, for the group, uh, for the website. He he helped pen the the third one, which was, uh, I believe it was Shattered, because Screwed went into detail about, well, <laughs> the Montreal Screwjob. Or unless Screwed is the third one. I, I forget which one is which, but anyways, these books are fascinating. If you are obsessed with pro wrestling with you know the backstage hoopla and whatnot so i'm gonna start here rebooking 1995 with january the royal rumble it is january 1995 creep by tlc is topping the charts jackie chan's rumble in the bronx is in theaters and the start of a hard, hard year in WWE is about to take place. Oh, and The Simpsons airs one of their greatest episodes with Homer the Great, the Stonecutters episode, season six, episode 12, written by John Schwarzwalder. It has Patrick Stewart as uh, the head of this secret underground society in springfield called the stone cutters and i can completely break out in song with uh you know their theme song with we do uh, patrick stewart as as the head here this is one of my personal favorites and you know this isn't a simpsons podcast <laughs> talking simpsons is one if you want to listen to their early stuff back when they used to have laser times chris antista on the show highly highly recommend so anyways here, 1995 was a year where my interest in wrestling started to peak a little bit. Uh, I had been watching the occasional show, was it Wrestling Challenge or Superstars, whatever used to be on at lunchtime on weekends in Canada. You know, I would go... Uh, go uh, do chores with my dad you know we used to have a family business uh, about a 10 minute drive from the house where my uncle my dad and grandpa uh, co-ran a butcher shop frets butchers and uh, when my grandpa passed away in 1993 my my uncle used to run the place because he lived at the farm that was on the same property as the butcher shop and my dad spent uh, almost this almost his entire life uh, butchering you know he recently had to uh step down or unofficially retire for for health reasons and uh it's it's the one th it's the only thing he knew he did it since he was a teenager so we'd go do chores we'd feed the pigs or we'd uh you know bag jerky slice bacon deliver stuff 
uh, and I, I would usually go there to do a few things. Like I would help feed the pigs and, and the cows that were just about to be turned into dinner. <laughs> but I would go and talk to my cousin Johnny about wrestling. Or I would go visit my, my Aunt Barb. Rest in peace, Barb. Love you. And uh, just, you know, talk with the family. Spend some, spend some time. I had been watching the occasional wrestling show. I would be renting older wrestling tapes from our hardware store. I've, I've talked about this before, where of all places in my hometown of Cannington, Ontario, Canada, one of the places to rent movies was the hardware store. They had a collection of wrestling from WrestleMania 2, 4, 5, 6, 7, 9, uh, various other specials like various Survivor Series and SummerSlam and Coliseum Home Videos like Bash in the USA or, you know, the best of Monday Night Raw, which was only like the first six months to a year of Raw, uh, Bleeps, Bloops, and Body Slams and all these other random ones. So I would take out the same tape numerous times. I'd either go watch them with uh, my buddy Stuart. Shout out to you. I was <laughs> I was talking to Stuart recently. If you hear this, buddy, hope you're doing well. Hope your mom's doing well. Uh, or I'd go see my buddy Double J, Johnny. Uh, and we would just watch them over and over again. Now, for some reason, I was obsessed with tracking down 1995 shows. Because, frankly... I hadn't seen them. I wanted to see what Diesel versus Bret Hart was like, or why Adam Baum wasn't in the main event picture, or why the Fred King Mabel was a thing. But this is a year that looking back, after watching all the shows from 1995, stuck out like a sore thumb. Not only was it one of the worst years in WWE, but... WCW as well. I mean, this was the year of the uh, that flatbed truck match that got Dustin Rhodes fired. Was it the Blacktop Bully, the Repo Man, Demolition Smash, against against Dustin on the back of this flatbed truck in the middle of nowhere? This was peak Dungeon of Doom. This was the horrible. A later era of the horsemen, despite the fact it had workhorses like Brian Pillman in the group. And I think either later this year or the year after, Chris Benoit would join the horsemen. This was peak, peak Hogan around the time we were starting to get tired of the red and yellow shtick. And in WWE, the click was running the show. So, in early 1995, Shawn Michaels and Diesel had have split. They have vacated the Tag Team Championship, and Shawn Michaels was on his meteoric rise to the top of the WWE. Now, Kevin Nash a.k.a. Diesel, took that breakup and became the WWE Champion 
just three days after Survivor Series, where Bob Backlund defeated Bret Hart in a submission match. Well, a submission match where Owen Hart goaded his mother into throwing in the towel on Bret's behalf. The Click was running the show. And quite frankly, they were kind of ruining everything. Uh, Titan Sinking just goes into detail there again about all the goings on. Who they had beef with. And there was this alleged list of the clique where they're like, yeah, we want rid of these people. So, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to attempt to rebook this entire year pay-per-view by pay-per-view. So, join me on this bumpy road of 1995. And of course, I'm going to start off with the Royal Rumble. Now, in the actual event, we had Jeff Jarrett defeating Razor Ramon for the Intercontinental title, 1-2-3-Kid and Bob Holly defeating Tatanka and... Bam Bam Bigelow for the Tag Team Championship in a tournament final to determine new champions. Undertaker and IRS, I believe they had a DQ finish. Bret Hart and Diesel for the WWE Championship ended up in uh, schmaz because there was all sorts of really crappy interference spots. Everyone was getting involved here. So, right away, in this, in this universe... I will not have Jeff Jarrett as Intercontinental Champion. That's J-E-F-F-J-I-R-R-E-T. Now, in my mind, he was a he was a good heel. He was a good wrestler, you know, coming from Memphis, come from the USWA. He had a pedigree. He was good at generating heat, drawing heat, but. In the words of, uh, I think it was one of the Valiants, he never drew a dime. He broke all those guitars, never drew a dime, and he was boring. For me, he had changed the channel heat. He had X-Pac heat, if you will. Although X-Pac's friggin' awesome. What do you want about? So, Jarrett challenges for the title a few times on Raw, but he never wins it. He tries to, you know, go for his uh, singing career with a spend my days working hard on the go. But then, you know, we know that that was the road dog doing all the work. And actually, I'm reading this verbatim from my blog and I wrote down here, you know, Ric Flair was a great heel. He was good at making you hate him, boo him and anticipate the ass-kicking that he was about to get. Jeff Jarrett, to me, had heat by just being there, and ripping off Ric Flair's strut uh, did him no favors for me. Sure, you can come out and, and interrupt Elias and be number two in the War Rumble. That's about it. 
And I'm also a little bit hesitant to have Diesel in the main event, but I would possibly use him as a transitional champion. His in-ring work was very limited. He didn't have a lot of charisma. But we all know that Vince McMahon loves his giants. He likes his beef, pal. Um, he likes uh, his, his his big guys. He likes he likes Big Show, Undertaker, Braun Strowman, Kevin Nash. I liked him. I liked him a lot. But I liked him in the NWO a lot more. He never really did it for me as a WWE champion. But being 10, 11 years old at this point in time, he was just cool because he was so tall. And he did the jackknife. So here we go with the card. After spending almost 20 minutes setting this up, because some of these shows are going to be a little bit short, I might combine pay-per-views into one podcast i just want to see how this goes and i want to let uh, you know what i want to know what you think so right away here razor ramon the intercontinental champion defends the title against bob backland now fresh off of not winning the title at survivor series 94 you'll see why bob snaps and goes even crazier as if that were possible because the promos following Survivor Series 94, which I am just learning about thanks to the classic Raw review on Cultaholic, Justin Henry, Tom Campbell, big shout out here, uh, talking about how he's going to homogenize uh, (laughs) people. Okay, so... Razor here, he wins. This took place in his hometown of Miami. And in my mind, hometown guys should usually get get the W here. And Bob Backlund, following this, continues his downward spiral into insanity and depression and begins his candidacy for the U.S. president. Sounds about as legit as the guy that's currently in office. Oh, wait. So next up here, we have the 123 Kid and Bob Hawley against the Smoking Guns in the tournament final for the vacant tag team championship. Now, the aforementioned HBK and Diesel breakup at Survivor Series caused the tag titles to be vacated. And like IRL, a tournament is held. And here we're going to see tournament matches throughout December 94 and early 95 between Raw, Action Zone, and Superstars. Kit and Bob qualify over Well Done and IRS and Bam Bam, while the Guns defeat the Heavenly Bodies and the New Head Shrinkers. Now the kids here, they win after a Sidewinder is reversed into a pin. And after the match, they celebrate. They go in for a good sportsmanship handshake, but the guns deny the deny the handshake, attack them, and leave the new champions laying. Now, to me, it was kind of odd to have the smoking guns who would win the tag titles the night after this at the on Monday Night Raw, 
to be, quote-unquote, injured in a rodeo accident, and then just, oh yeah, we're just gonna, we're just gonna beat 123Kid and Bob Holly the next night. Why? So, I would put them in the tournament itself. The tag team division was about as weak as it is today in WWE, so it needed a little shot in the arm. Now, Billy and Bart were gunning for the tag title, titles in all of 94 and came up short. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist that terrible pun. I sh- shoot, I shot my shot, and I didn't hit the mark. I am going to stop. And they justify their heel turn by saying, Bang Nass gets you nowhere. Sorry for that terrible Texas accent. Coming up next here, we have The Undertaker over IRS. The two guarantees in life, death and taxes, fighting over which guarantee is going to strike first. And this time, death. Keeping the feud between the Million Dollar Corporation alive. But I am mercifully going to give you a spoiler alert here and tell you that King Kong Bundy is going to be kept away from this feud. Maybe they wrestle on Raw, but not on the biggest stage of the year. After the match, Bam Bam Bigelow attacks The Undertaker, and Tatanka attacks Paul Bear, stealing the urn, and the entire corporation joins in the beatdown. This kind of looks familiar from Royal Rumble 1994, but this time Taker is not buried in a casket, and Marty Jannetty, dressed like The Undertaker, isn't ascended to main event status. I mean, ascended out of the arena. And this, this of course, will set up Bam Bam Bigelow versus The Undertaker at WrestleMania 11. And also, I have spared you from Lawrence Taylor. You're welcome. The and now the WWE Championship. Owen Hart, you heard that right, against the British Bulldog. Now... At SummerSlam 1994, Owen defeats Big Brother Brett for the title, and he has been feuding with both Brett and brother-in-law Davey Boy ever since. At Survivor Series, Davey pins Owen to win for his team. Let's just say it's Davey, Brett... Oh, the smoking guns and Adam Bomb going up against Owen, HBK, Diesel, Jeff Jarrett, and I don't know. I'll, th- I'll think of another heel. King Kong Bundy. I don't know. <laughs> so, because I didn't actually rebook this pay-per-view, I just looked and thought of how it will lead up to this. So, Brett here is vowing to win the Royal Rumble. Davy Boy wins a number one contenders match against Brett, which, you know, Davy wins. So we get Bulldog and Owen here. Just a few years before, we would see them in the finals for the European Championship, which was also awesome. And uh, comes up short. There's uh, there's uh, sportsmanship after between Davy and Brett as these two brother-in-laws have a common goal to uh, dethrone Owen Hart. So after this, you know, Brett's saying, you know, I'm going to win the Royal Rumble and I'm going to win the title from the winner of this match. 
So Brett has invested interest. He's going to sit and, you know, watch the match from a monitor, just like how every other wrestler watches it by kind of looking to the side and standing there with their arms folded instead of doing a normal thing like getting in a comfy chair or couch and watching it on a big-ass TV. Although big-ass TVs in 1995 were huge and about 700 pounds heavy. (laughs) So... Owen here, he wins with the sharpshooter after working the injured leg out of his leg. Owen declares himself the leader of the Hart family because he has beaten everyone and he has also beaten everyone attached to the Hart family. Uh, Notable by the absence in that list is Jim Neidhart, who was fired from the company at the time. And since they are both heels... Oh, he was on Owen Hart's team. There you go. Take out King Kong Bundy. Put Jim Neidhart in. <clears throat> so we have here. It's like, yeah, I've beaten them all. I hope Brett wins the Royal Rumble so I can prove myself and embarrass him for the second WrestleMania in a row. And the Royal Rumble match. Now, Pamela Anderson appears at this show because Baywatch theme, the beach, Florida. Why not? However, she is not a prize for the winner. Because, well, spoiler alert, I have Bret Hart winning this, and Julie Hart would probably have an aneurysm. However, Pamela promises to accompany someone to the ring at WrestleMania who impresses her tonight. Now, here we go. The 1995 Royal Rumble. Bret Hart wins after drawing number two. The man who draws number one, Shawn Michaels. And these two are the first two in the ring and the last two. So maybe we get a little bit of a tease for the Iron Man match that would take place over a year after this. Uh, To be honest, I didn't get into rebooking into 1996, depending on, you know, time and what what I do after this. At least on the Fretzelmania side, you'll still hear me every week on the Game Changer podcast. Uh, I'll see if I get into some 1996, maybe maybe after some feedback here. So... Brett and Sean, first two and last two. This not only sets up Brett versus Owen at WrestleMania again, this time with stakes, but it also sets up a year-long story of HBK's face turn, his boyhood dream, his redemption, and his main event push. His rocket strap is starting here. Sean has a valiant effort, and he is this this Rumble's MVP just coming up short. He talks about his destiny to be the WWE Champion the night after this. And, like IRL, Sid turns on him, and then Sid begins talking about a destiny of his own except that it's a little bit more sinister and nonsensical. I mean, I love Psycho Sid. He's one of my favorites of all time, but that guy was cuckoo. 
And while this is booking a year in advance, I, I says, I'll still figure if I'm going to work into some 1996 territory here. So that has been it for this first edition of Fretzelmania 1995 Redux. Let me know what you think. Tweet me at LegendaryJF. You can hear me every Saturday on Wrestle Addict Radio's Game Changer podcast with my good brother and co-host Nate the Effin' Great. Uh, follow us at Addict underscore Wrestle. This isn't a Wrestle Addict Radio affiliated podcast, but because I'm a member of the of the brand, I have to give them a shout out. So we got the Kings of the Rings podcast, YLP podcast with Zach, uh, the Delight Show, and of course, you know, the aforementioned Game Changer. So, you know, that's been it. God bless and good night. <laughs>